May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Cameron Underwood of Yuba City, California, decided to end his life with a shotgun. He placed the barrel of the gun under his chin and pulled the trigger. Miraculously, he didn't die, but tragically, he shot off almost his entire face. Only one tooth was left remaining in his mouth. He was found bleeding in grave danger and um, was transported to a, a nearby hospital where surgeons were able to save his life. After several operations, he was discharged from the hospital and left to go home with a countenance that outwardly was behind his inward turmoil, just totally disfigured and tragically um, misshapen. Not long after he got out of the hospital, though, his, his mother was reading a, news, or a magazine article rather, about a doctor whose name was Eduardo Rodriguez. And he was a professor of plastic surgery, reconstructive, reconstructive plastic surgery, easy for me to say, and, um, and a surgeon at, at um, New York University. The mag magazine article that Cameron's mother was reading was about Dr. Rodriguez's work with face transplants. And she knew that this was the answer to her son's prayers. So she made contact with uh, Dr. Rodriguez, set up a, a time of consultation, and took Cameron all the way across the country from California to New York. Soon uh, Cameron would become Dr. Rodriguez's third face transplant. The surgery itself took 25 hours and nearly 100 medical professionals in the theater. But when it was over and after he was finally discharged several weeks later, he went out looking very much like a, a quite normal 26-year-old. Not like the 26-year-old who had um, tried to end his life, but like a 23-year-old who had passed away and donated him his face. I thought about how lots of people get plastic surgery for different reasons. Um, not unusual, get a little work done here or there, you know, look a few years younger or whatnot. And people who have more time and more money, maybe they do a little more than others. And it's, you know, like I said, understandable. Um, none of us are getting younger, all getting older. And so maybe it's okay to look like a younger version of oneself. Um, the thing that's sometimes concerning, I think, is when we want to look like someone else. You know, when, um, when surgery is met so that you um, not look like yourself, but instead look like... And, I mean, who wouldn't want to look like Brad Pitt, right? I mean, for those of us who already look like him, we understand why others might want to do that. I don't know why you're laughing. Um, but it's not realistic, is it? I mean, even if you could look exactly like someone else, you wouldn't really want to because it's their uniqueness that is really their beauty. They're one of a kindness. But still, a lot of people feel themselves that lacking in some sort of beauty, and they spend a lot of time and money in this area. I was on vacation recently and um, we were in Florida and all my four sons together and um, they watched the most ridiculous television. I, I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just mindless dribble. But one of the shows that they were watching is a show called Botched. I don't know if you've ever seen it where um, there are actually, uh, you know, these case studies of people who have had plastic surgeries and they have gone wrong. And so they're tragic, you know, they're disfigured, they're scars, and they're just looking awful, and they're desperate for a surgeon to sort of fix what has been messed up, what has been botched. And happily, the episode always ends with the person being put back to rights and, and looking, you know, quite good after all of the bad surgeries. I was thinking about all of that, 
And about St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, I wasn't really worried about the wrong lesson. We had it covered because we were well into the New Testament lesson anyway. Uh, but this, this idea that Paul writes um, to the Corinthians about a truly beautiful interior life and how when we're all worried about exteriors, how that's really the wrong thing. Um, I wonder if there was such a thing as interior spiritual plastic surgery, if there would still be more takers for the exterior. I'm not sure about that. But what Paul writes to these Corinthian Christians about has to do with this sort of idea about an interior life. See, the Corinthian Christians to whom he writes are new to the faith. They were, they were pagans. They, were, you know, they had lived in a world um, that was not even Hebraic. They didn't have that, that Hebrew background. They were pagans, and they had become Christians, and they came to faith, and they really were excited about it. And some of them wanted to be regarded as super-Christians. You know, there's a, a, a level of spirituality uh, above the fray, above uh, the average Christian, and, um, and they sought to do this in a few ways. They looked for this elevated status, some of them, with what they called a special gnosis, knowledge. A secret knowledge, a, an ability to understand the mysteria of God, the mysteries of God. And they, they would say, you know, this is a sort of knowledge that you can't get from book learning. It's not, not just an ability, you know, to go to a graduate school and learn this. You, it's, it's special gifted knowledge that one receives directly from God. And so they were people who were really regarded as having this special knowledge that came from a gift of the Holy Spirit. And there were others who thought that really the way to become a super-Christian was through the gift of prophecy. A lot of debate about what Paul means, what the New Testament writers mean, what people in Corinth understood about prophecy. But if you boil it all down, it's at the very least someone who speaks for God. And so the New Testament prophets that were people who were seeking this gift of prophecy, they wanted to be seen as, as sort of an elite group of Christians because they could speak for God. And then there were a third group. There were actually more than three, but three that Paul really deals with. And those were the ones who spoke in tongues. This was a big deal in Corinth. People who would speak in another language. Now, it's not like they were speaking Ugaritic or Latin or Aramaic, languages that were already extant languages. They were speaking a heavenly language, a language not understood by others. And so th there were these who really wanted this gift of tongues or knowledge or prophecy. And if you read through Paul's letter, his first letter to the Corinthians, Chapters 12 through 14 are his really long cease and desist order. <laughs> Stop it. No more of this. Quit chasing after these gifts. These are all real gifts. God does, in fact, give them to people for the advancement of the well-being of the church. But stop it. Stop trying to seek after these gifts as a means of making yourself appear better than you are. As trying to be some sort of an elitist super-Christian. Do you know what will make you a super-Christian? Is his big parenthetic remark, chapter 13. Chapter 13 is one big parenthesis between 12 and 14. And one big parenthesis that goes like this. If I speak in the tongues of men or people and angels... But have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, do you hear this? Tongues and prophecy and knowledge. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Even martyrdom. Verse 3, if I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Tongues without love, just noise. Prophecy without love, worthless. Knowledge, faith, even martyrdom without love, it, it, it benefits one nothing. I think we have a difficulty in defining love in our world because we only understand love as eros. Valentine's Day, you know, um, and um, I usually want to throw a brick at my computer when I see these sort of ads, you know, that kind of come up around the television. Um, we should know better. We should. We know that, that, of course, there's romantic love, but parents love their children, and, and children love their friends, and everyone loves chocolate and puppy dogs and rainbows. I mean, of course we know that there are these different types of love. Of course. When Paul says the type of love he's speaking of, in his uh, first century Greek, agape, unconditional acceptance of others. Unconditional positive disposition toward other people that seeks to bring them fullness of life and avoids inflicting harm. This is what he means by love. An unconditional acceptance of every other person. This kind of love. And then he defines it a little more clearly, both via negativa and via positiva. What it's not and what it is, doesn't it? He? he kind of goes through this long litany. Love is not jealous or arrogant or selfish or rude. It does not delight in evil. This is, this is what love does not do. On the other hand, it does exercise patience and kindness. It puts up with a lot from people without giving up on them. It seeks goodness. It always tells the truth. I think Paul's message to these Corinthian Christians, you want to be a super Christian, you want to be above the fray, don't do it by seeking after some kind of gift that elevates you and gives you a sense of self-importance. Instead, seek love. That you would love people the way that God loves them. And I think his superlatives are important, don't you? Love never gets angry. It never behaves rudely. It never treats people unkindly. It never gives up on them. I'm going to let you in on a little secret, okay? I am just like you. I have gotten angry with people. I have behaved rudely. I know it's a shock to you. But I have. There were two occasions in my life. No, I have done it on more than two occasions. I've become frustrated with people. I've lost my patience with them. I have given up on them sometimes and regretted that I have. I think Paul is saying, you want to be a super Christian, well then you need to love like this. And the bar suddenly becomes way high. So much so that the people who read it say, but I could never, I could never love other people like that. Where I never give up on them. Where I never get angry with them. Where I never lose my patience with them. 
And the answer is, exactly. You could never do that. You would need, you would need really like that God would do something internally inside of you. Constantly changing you and molding you. Making you more and more like the one who hung on a cross and looked at the people who, who spat upon him and crucified him and says, what? Get him. Sick him, God. Destroy him. No, that's not what he says from the cross. You know what he says. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Love like this. And so I wonder about us, you know. Would we like to be like super spiritual people? Would we like to be maybe, you know, above the average? I always hoped for like above average, you know, and getting grades. Maybe above average in this one. Well, it's not going to come from things like knowledge or prophecy or speaking in tongues. Those are all very real charismata. I believe that. I believe that to be true. That the Lord gives people certain insight. They can see right through things like I can never do. And there are people who can speak a word. I've had it done. Where somebody laid a hand on my chest and he said something to me that was just like it was right inside my head. I don't know how he did it. And I know that people have spoken in tongues. And the Archbishop of Canterbury said this week, he does it every day. I mean, these are very real gifts. But they are not the thing that make us better. They're not the things that qualitatively improve our lives. They're gifts. Imagine, I was, I was watching something and it's got in my head, a Fabergé egg, you know, from the Romanoff dynasty. Imagine I gave you one, right? And it was yours and you would put it in your house and all your friends would come and look at it. They were really beautiful and they, oh wow, that's fantastic. How silly would it be for you to be like, yeah, it's mine. To become arrogant over something that was a gift to you. But we do that, don't we? We get arrogant, we get proud about them. Paul says... You want to live a high spiritual life, live a life of love, rejecting haughtiness and self-importance and arrogance and pride, demanding our own way. And when we don't have it in ourselves to be loving, to ask for that gift. You know what? I think that's his point. If you're going to pursue gifts, why not pursue this gift? Why not pursue this gift of love? Um... There's this movie that I love to watch, and you, you probably think it's super cheesy. It's called Evan Almighty. I don't know if you've ever seen it. And it's about a modern-day manifestation of Noah's Ark. You know, there's um, uh, this guy who's a congressman, and he suddenly is told by God to build an ark. And he just thinks it's crazy, but he has no way out of it, and so he eventually does it. And his wife, you know, is really worried because he's building this giant ark in their backyard. Um, my wife worries about me, about all kinds of things. But I have yet to build a big giant ark in my backyard. And, and so she, she eventually gets so frustrated that she takes the children and she leaves. And, and they stop at a, at a restaurant. And, and God is played by Morgan Freeman, which I think is really awesome. Um, and so Morgan Freeman, he comes and he's, he's sort of disguised as a table waiter. And he, he says to, to Evan's wife, you know, why the sad face, that sort of thing. She says, you know, my husband is this infamous character who's building this giant ark in Washington, D.C., and it's in our backyard, and, you know, I just had enough. I had to, I had to leave. And the, the character Morgan Freeman plays says, you know, a lot of people 
pray for things like patience and they think that God will just blast them with patience. Or that they pray for a better ability to be kind and God will just give them an ability to be kind. And then you recall from earlier in that she was praying, praying that their family would be closer. And he says, and a lot of people pray that their family would be closer and they think that God will just blast them with warm, fuzzy feelings. But that's not how it works. God doesn't give us kindness. He gives us an opportunity to be kind. And he doesn't give us patience. He gives us the opportunity to be patient. He doesn't just blast us with warm, fuzzy feelings. He gives us an opportunity to love one another in our families. An opportunity to love one another in the world. You know, I think it's really fortunate this young guy, Cameron Underwood, got this plastic surgeon who was able to restore his seriously deformed face and make him look normal, even handsome. And he has a new chance at life. But I think what really matters the most for most of us is not that this gets looking better. It's going to deteriorate more and more. I have bad news for all of us, right? But the interior of our lives, that we might look more and more like the one who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. That we might love more and more one another and hold one another kindly and gently because I think that really can change the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.